Hi, I'm Luke Campbell, and I work for a small wine company. He's Luke Morris, and... I'm excited by the World Cup. And together, we are Luke's Talk Wine, talking all things wine and booze, sometimes sport and popular culture. Think when to drink, why we drink it, and the culture that surrounds drinking. Hello, Luke. G'day, Campbell. How are you going? Very well, mate. I, I am very well. Uh, welcome to the listeners and welcome to uh, yourself, Luke Morris. We are Seasons 4, Episode 7, and today, this evening, this morning, good night, good evening, wherever you are, wherever you're listening, we have got a great episode for you with several topics this afternoon. So the, the topics today that I want to raise with you, Luke Morris, and the listening audience, for that matter, for the listeners listening is the world's old vine registry. Recently, they have unveiled the world's oldest vines. I want to talk to you about that, Luke, because when you and I, I reckon we've discussed the Barossa old vine charter on our podcast before. Oh, yeah. When I looked at this old vine registry, I thought, you know, I, I was thinking, oh, yeah, I, I reckon I could pick a few of those vineyards. Well, my vineyards are way off and they are, uh, landed way down the line. So I want to talk about that this afternoon. I want to get to know with you, I want to get to know the recently unveiled winemaker of the year, Kate Goodman from Penley Estate. Congratulations to Kate. We'll talk about her recent accolade. And also, what has changed or what has altered the wine lexicon in our times with the recent phenomenon of Barbenheimer and the release of Barbie. Over the weekend, Barbie answered the $1 billion question. So barely three weeks into its run at the cinema, it has cracked through that billion-dollar ceiling. There are 10-odd, 10 10 or 12-odd movies in the history that have done that. This has done it in its first three weeks at the global box office. I want to talk about what's – and so, so henceforth that has altered – the cinematic landscape. I want to know from you, Luke Morris, what's altered our wine lexicon in our lifetimes? Um, so we might touch on that. And then I've got a listener question from Rod at Lee and Gatha. I don't even know where Lee and Gatha is. Uh, you Lee might. Gatha. Yeah. Gatha's Does that ring any bells? isn't it? Well, as a non-Victorian, that's probably what I don't recognise. Um Anyway, Rod from Lee and Gatha writes, do, good question, do sommeliers consider closures when choosing wines for their wine list? We will talk oh. about that and we'll, we'll answer Rod's oh. questions very shortly. But first up, what has altered the wine lexicon in our lifetime? So you, we can't say goon bags because, and shout out to the sponsor of the program, Unbottled Wines, premium wines in a box, but... So we can't say Goon Goon of Fortune because that was kind of pre us. Before we jump onto those th- those topics, mate, mm. can can I throw something at you? First of all, Ooh, yes. Leo Gatha is definitely at um, in Victoria. It's uh, mm. out towards Sale. Not actually. Oh, Gippsland. Gippsland's way. Okay, right. Gippsland Road. Yep. Yeah. Gippsland. Well, welcome all the There's definitely in been Leo Gatha Estate. I reckon be, there's a few wineries out there. Yes, I love the wines of Gippsland. I should know that better. Um, Rod, welcome anyway. He's obviously an avid listener to the program. Uh, Chris, question for you, though. Um, do you remember 
uh, I, I gave you a, a challenge to uh, contact uh, Chris Catlow. Yes, I do remember. I... Did, did you get a message back? I haven't got a message back as yet. Okay. No. Uh, I was just wanting to listen to know him. that we're keeping on it. That we are if, keeping if, on it. Anybody licking their lips for some inexplicable happiness, Beechworth Chardonnay or um, something, you know, hold tight, we'll get there. It might not be Beechworth Chardonnay, but... Oh, it might not be. <laughs> it might but we'll be... It went, but, you know, like, it, it'll be... Um... Are you going to say Beechworth Regional Valley Chardonnay? <laughs> I might, no, no, I wasn't going to say that. I just said it just might not be Chardonnay. It might be, uh, oh, you know, Beechworth. Alagote, no. It won't be Alagote either, I wouldn't imagine. It might be something a little bit more accessible. Uh, Schollenbars? What are you talking about? <laughs> What's more accessible than the Chardonnay? Well, Shiraz. No, get your hand off it. There's plenty of Shiraz around the world. You want to make Chardonnay, do you? Oh, because I've already made um I've already made a database for it. That's why. Uh huh. Right, yes. you are. There's a, there's a yeah. plan. I, I yeah, love there's a, a plan. There's, there's a plan. Uh, do, do you listen to as much as um, we, we want to make this happen? We can't only make uh, t two six packs happen for uh, Shieldsy and the like. We need to um, produce <laughs> enough. And uh, so I, I have in my mind a way of offloading the uh, extra. Well, if we sell two six packs to Shieldy, that would leave us with an extra 62 six packs out of a. <laughs> And I don't want to store them all at home because I won't get through them all um, in my lifetime. If I tried, it would probably make my lifetime short. So <laughs> you just have to think about these. Think about think about the ways you, you go into micro businesses with an exit strategy. <laughs> yeah, well, fair enough. I, I love the micro business exit strategy. Yeah, um, <laughs> which doesn't involve just drinking at all. There's no. <laughs> a lot of there's a lot of small micro business wineries have that strategy. <laughs> I don't want to follow it. <laughs> it can be really hard to justify opening a bottle of wine from the cellar on a Tuesday night when all you want is one glass, and that's why we've started Unbottled Wines. We're delivering seasonally curated ultra-premium wines from acclaimed Australian winemakers. These are wines that have never before seen the inside of a box, and may never again. Why a box? Because the box keeps wine fresh for up to 40 days after it's opened, unlike the bottle, which goes off after three or four. So if you would like to be able to drink exceptional wine one glass at a time, check out Unbottled Wines. Use the code VINIFIED at checkout and save 10%. Unbelievable. Um, anyway, back to my question of the yeah. topics of today. Um, what's altered the wine lexicon in our lifetime? So what have you got for me, Luke Morris? What, what things can you remember you think, shit, that is a game changer? Well, this is going to lead into potentially we're rearranging how we do the, the podcast series, but this could end um, episode. This could this would lead into your listener question, but uh, screw cap is is a has, was a big game change in recent years. Um, yep, that's one thing. Uh, uh, using staves instead of uh, oak is another thing. Um, 
Dong Perignon inventing a foot training device as opposed to human feet. That was a that's a big thing that's changed the. Um, but that's not in our lifetime. The first two are. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. in our lifetime. Mm. What else has really changed it? The uh, Gary Vanderchuk has changed it. Yeah, Gary. Gary. Um, yeah, Gary. Um, you're right. V- Vaynerchuk. Yeah. Yep. For, for, for those for those listeners who don't know who he is, he's a influencer. Uh, or he wasn't wine influencer. I think he's moved off into general marketing influencing. Uh, but and, he, and um, business and entrepreneurship and things like yeah, that. But the yeah. Stelvin closure, the, Stel- the Stelvin, I didn't have Stelvin on my list. Stelvin is, in fact, the work of French scientists and engineers, and they developed a closure. Oh, I wonder when that came in. It was it was an element of closure. Is it? Okay. Still in, exactly. But I wonder when that came about. But, yes, that's definitely been now lifetime. So, oh, you know, no, so known as a screw Stelvin cat, Stelvin's Stelvin the company that produces it. Yeah, Stelvin itself, I think, is uh, uh, the, the – oh, I don't know, maybe late 90s. I remember – I think it was a 99 bottle of um, of Anarangi was the first bottle I think I saw. Anarangi Pinot was the first bottle I saw that had it on there. But, yeah, that's, the screw cap has been around for for before my lifetime. I've, I've seen a, uh, I've seen a Yolumba bottle under screw cap that was dated 1972, I think. Really? Yeah. Yolumba I... Claret under screw cap 1972. You reckon that Adarangi? Yeah. First I saw, I'm not oh. saying Anarangi were first, but the, the no, first no, no, no. The first you saw, oh, the first I saw was a black label bottle of Wins, um, oh. uh, and I remember thinking, oh, it's like a, you know, it's like a, a sauce bottle or something. Like I remember thinking, <laughs> I remember having an impact on me, just yeah. thinking. But obviously, it's you know, it now has a long standing of experience in the industry, you know, and there's still some wonderful kind of back and forth about you know this piece of aluminium and how it screws onto the thread of the neck and what is perfect is it a better closure than the knot or blah 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 so yeah wine stelvin closures yeah radio so i have got um stelvin closure definitely something that has altered our wine lexicon what was the second one you said uh, uh, just to just to go deeper onto that it's altered the wine world because of things like, uh, I might have brought this up once before, um, chatting to a buyer for Tesco's in the UK. Tesco's, mm. think um, Dan Murphy's, but you know, three times as big. It's a huge, huge business. And they, um, he was in the bar, and they had a new buying manager who was not from the wine industry. That was just a numbers person, but they mm-hmm. didn't know the wine industry very well. So they said, oh, I've approved the um, the purchase of this Sauvignon Blanc that you guys wanted. Uh, they asked us for screw cap or cork, and we've, we've, we've agreed to cork. And everyone in the room went, what? What? Don't do that because you've just killed a tenth of the, of the uh, stock because that's what they sort of estimate uh, cork faults could damage. You know, one bottle in twelve at least is usually what they used to work on as yep. um damaged due to cork. And so the, the, the impact is, is dramatic in terms of 
you know, we don't do cork tone. Well, we, I, I work in an industry where we still recognise cork tone exists, but by and large, people just don't deal with it anymore. It's, it's a huge game changer. Yeah. Um, you mentioned something second there before Dom Perignon. You mentioned something also changed the wine lexicon. I can't remember what it was, but it was very pertinent at the time. Do you remember what it was, Luke Morris? Oh, did I write it down? No. Staves. 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 You mentioned yeah. Oak stave. Yeah. That's changed the yeah. that's changed wine making. Yes. I, I think um yeah, it really has, hasn't it? Like um Yeah, it has people, affected it. Yeah, you go. Oh, people talk about it so much now. There's this is stupid game I see people try and play, which is oh this is this is oaked, but was it oaked in barrel staves or chips? And they they say how you can tell with the integration and all this kind of stuff. But um Bollocks. That's bollocks. Oak, who are those who are these people? Uh, <laughs> they're having, they're they're kidding themselves. Yeah, it's like it's like people saying, Oh, this is clone seven seven two, not seven seven four. It's like how can you tell that from the glass? But um yeah, no. Uh, one of the big things again, economics of that is you get the oak being integrated on four sides of a piece of wood instead of one. You know, and it um, environmentally, okay, we're cutting down oak trees and to create these staves, but you also don't have to cut down as many trees to 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 produce that style of wine because you're using the whole oak, not just the the, the, the surface that's present on the barrel um, and there's still snobbery around using sna- staves and I, I can sort of get that I sort of get that because of the, the this, I don't know do you think it's just romance do you, do you think there's there's um, warrant it's, it's warranted to be oh you've got to use a real barrel instead of chips or Oh, or, or, or oh well, you know, sticks. staves. When, when the staves are usually used for a certain type of wine, and they use them, you know, for a wine maturation at a reasonable cost. Like we're not talking about putting staves in the hill of grace or anything like that. Mm. But in addition to a replacement for a barrel aging, the insertion of staves come at a you know a more sustainable cost. So in, in an industry where we've got to fight sustainability and climate change and all these kind of barriers to market, I think the additions of stave for a good quality wine for less cost is a positive thing. I, I don't think there's – I don't see a stigma about it. I'm not one of these people out there smelling staves or barrels either. <laughs> you know, for those who are playing that game, need to fairly and buy themselves a mirror and have a look at themselves because that's not what wine's about. They probably do that, to be honest with you. <laughs> the state, the, I can tell the, the difference between a stave and a barrel. I'm so uh, good. <laughs> Spare me, come on. Um, <laughs> but with with a controlled contribution of these woody, stavey characteristics, the, the aromas... You know, you know, they benefit. Like oak barrels are used to intensify wine or sometimes soften and enrich wine. They're also used to impart flavours and tannins. Like I think you, you're right. If you're using staves and you've got four sides instead of one for your more inexpensive wines, I, I don't see a problem with that. I definitely think staves have been a great addition and altered the modern lexicon of wine making and what? wine drinking. 
So what do you think about influencer sort of stuff and the influence, not just of influencer on your TikTok or your, your Instagram, or but also the influence, because it's the, the same extension of the likes of Robert Parker and and reviewers, like the, the point system. And I don't, I, the point system has probably been around since before you and I were born, but mm. the, 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 the prevalence of it, the, 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 the embracement of it as a thing. And, uh, is it, is it, I think it's a bad thing, but what do you think? Yeah, well, I mean, you, you and I are back in. Uh, was it the first or second episode of last um, series, last season, you and I went down that rabbit hole of the point system. Mm. Um, I, I, I think, yeah, it's kind of like leaving the horse to water. I think, you know, as consumers, we're all on the wine journey together. And I, I say us loosely, like you and I consume as much as anybody. I, I think if we're all consuming, we're all learning do I do I need a guide? Maybe. What do I think? I, I I think I have a combination of guides. You know, I might look and read a little bit of Halliday. I might look and read a little bit of Gary Vaynerchuk, but he's not reviewing wines anymore. But I might look and read a little bit of what Robert Parker says, and then I might assert or make up my own opinion. I don't just go, all right, geez, 97 out of 100, I'm going to go and find that bottle of Blackjack Shiraz um, <laughs> to drink it. Like I, I think I need a little bit more than the numbers um, to uh, hammer that home for me. But that's you personally. What about – we're talking about influence in the industry. Do you think in the yeah, industry yeah. – I, I don't sell um, – I don't, I don't sell any wine by the numbers. So if I, if I was, to, and a lot of listeners here, if you've signed up to the newsletter, www.vinify.com.au and follow us on the newsletter there, you'll notice when we release wines, whether they're aged out of the cellar or whether they're, um, you know, brand new releases, we're not using any scores. Very rarely do we use scores because I think scores are somewhat misleading. I think, um, yeah, I'm... Uh, I'm neither here nor there, but I don't use them if that makes any sense. Yeah, but I, what I'm referring to is more that um, I've seen this. I know this happens. People make wine to suit influences, so that you know, if the, if they this wine is going to get 96 points at, in the James Halliday book, therefore it will sell well, and I'll be able to make money and you know pay my bills and pay my grape growers and all this kind of stuff. And that's, I mean, that's a good thing in the industry to a degree, but also it's just, uh, you know, I don't, I, don't, I don't like, I don't know how influential these people have become to dictate the way wine is wine is less about the story than it used to be it's less about the the home it's more about who gets the most points yeah i'm picking up what you're putting down there i um yeah i i get it i get it what about you is that game changing in the wine industry 
in your lifetime? The, the, the probably we'll put this we'll put this to bed. The the one thing that I'm um, think that is a dead set game changer in the wine industry, for better or for worse, like your influences, is the Coravin Wine Preservation System. This is a system uh, that seals your wine with argon. Um, yeah. for be- for better or for worse, so it it takes out any oxygen and replaces it with argon. So you can have half a glass, two glasses, and leave your wine under this gas for a certain amount of time, which is a neutral slash inert gas. So you don't um, it doesn't affect the wine. So technically, the wine never touches oxygen. Um, whether you're in a restaurant, whether you're at home, I think the Coravin Wine Preservation System has has really been a game changer because it allows you to preserve these wines, still wines, for for weeks on on end. Uh, it was developed. Still... It was developed by a surgeon in the US. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I can mm. see that. So would it stick to the surgeons just taking some argon home for them, so they could have their uh, DRC uh, once a night for a week. How they got to where it is now, I've got no idea. But recently, you know, I've I've trialed it for a venue that I work with. I've used it. I've um, yeah, I've tried the wines with argon, without wine. You know, I've left them open. I've done all sorts of trials. Yeah, and it's it's it, the results are interesting. Uh, but either way, it's been embraced by the wine industry and the and the hospitality industry at a numerable pace. And so I think the Coravin has um altered the wine lexicon in my lifetime hmm yeah you could write in dear listener if you've got one of your own you get the emails don't you campbell you get the emails absolutely yeah um definitely write in if you've got something that's changed your wine world or that you've experienced you can send something through what and what's the email address i should contact on like Luke's, how, or, or, or how do they get a message wine. yes that's it so if you're not up to speed with using carrier pigeons mm-hmm. and your neighbors uh have forgotten the email address that they gave you last week it is and i'll repeat it again luke's talk wine at gmail.com and you can send us an email just as Rod has done from, and I can't believe I didn't know Liam Gatha was in Gippsland. I should know that, Rod, and we'll get to Rod's question a little bit later on. But the second topic this afternoon, as we move on, is this week was there was an old vine registry unveiled um, by a set of journalists. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking about old vines, and it took me straight to the Barossa, took me straight to the you know, those old Langmile vines, those old Hiller Grace vines, the old vine, the world's oldest grapevine registry. Yep. Um, if you think old vines, Luke Morris, where, what do you think? Well, so I don't know what this registry, I don't know who's on this registry. So I want to have a guess at a couple of, if, do you know, do, yep, do, do I'd they love, rank I'd them in to. age? If I if I was to say, um, uh, do uh, they rank them in age? Because if I was to say someone like, let me no, I'll throw so a name if out. you, yeah, go on, you throw a name out there. Yeah, um, uh, let's just go the easy option first, and the Windery Bushvine um, Shiraz. Yeah, 
Is that listed there? That's 18. Uh, oh, actually, hang on. Do I, do I have a list of... Um, one second. Hold fire there. Do I have oh. a list of... I was more going for... I was more going for if you were if if you were a thinking about old vines and where they come from and yeah. what countries they would be in what regions. So what oh, would be the regions? So you, you reckon old, you reckon No, not Pacific Vineyard. Well, I was thinking, uh. you know, a bit like yourself, Windery, uh, I was thinking Yolumba, I was thinking that. But then I thought, well, all right. If they're not featured, what regions of the world? So, you know, I was thinking, oh, may, maybe France, you know, if not Australia, maybe France. What? Give, give me the top three, give me the top three countries you might think of that have the world's oldest vines. Oh, world's oldest vines. Uh, yep. Well, so I'm just thinking, again, I'm thinking something like, um, uh, Hewitson ha claims they have the oldest Mataro vines in the world, but um, mm -hmm. America would would have some. Really okay, so old Australia, Australia's one. America's another. Yeah, America because they had stock pre phylloxera that they donated back to um, France. Um, and who else? Yeah. Oh, there's there was well some there's some of the vineyards in France like the. Uh, VVF Bollinger Vineyard in Champagne. I think so, so, so you, you would say, so there's your three. So you would say, yeah. Barossa, or you, you would say Australia, America, and, and France. France. Is that right? Yeah. So I definitely would have, I, I definitely would have said, I definitely would have said France, and I definitely would have said, um, I, def I probably would have said Italy, and I also would have said Australia, right? Yeah. So Spain, Spain get up there. Well, Spain got devastated by phylloxera. It did. It did. Yep. So in this record, there is there was 18 countries um, recorded. Yeah. There was over um, nearly 170 years of planting history guided. And the oldest vineyard is in none of those countries that we mentioned. Syria? <laughs> no, Syria is another one that doesn't feature high on the top list. Where's, where's the, the birthplace of a lot of vineyards supposed to be? It's around Syria. Yeah, no, it? It, it is Persia, exactly. And then you have, um, you know, Armenia and Georgia. Um, you know, a lot of things go back there, but this vineyard is 163 years of age. Uh, but um, with the sorry, the Hill of Grace, the Hill of Grace vineyard, some of the oldest vines are 163 years of age, but this one is relatively young. Hill of Grace is relatively young compared to a vineyard in the Ney region of Germany, which has vineyards estimated to be 600 years old, if you don't mind. I'm bar. Oh, Can you believe that? Re Replantings. They, they can't still be producing the same fruit. Well, you'd assume they'd be grafted, you know, every 60 or 70 years, particularly if they're white over. But other, other World Heritage listed and old vine regions of the world include Chile, 
include oh. South Africa. And surprise, surprise, okay. Italy and Italy, France, Spain is well down the list. Italy and France are actually a bit down the list as well because, as, as we know, they got devastated by phylloxera. But there was some like Chile. Chile showed up. I never would have picked Chile. Um, so, in the registry of old vines, you know what would be you think would be a walk up startup. You know, like you know France, US, all these kind of stuff. Well, France is way low down. Our own Hill of Grace is very, very high, and some of the other Barossan vineyards are there. Um, so that's good to see. But yeah, this Ney, I had to go and look where Ney is. I've actually have actually been to Germany. I didn't get as far down the bottom as Ney, uh, mainly known for its white, but a couple of plantings of uh, red. Unbelievable. Great history there, I must admit. But uh, yeah, the world's oldest grape vines, not as you know it. Okay, not so but are they six, so the six hundred year old vines, six hundred year old producing vines. Fruit. Well, what 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 you know? Well, what happens is they graft over them, so they are still producing fruit, albeit I bet not a lot, um, because but when the you say graft over, you're grafting uh, onto new rootstock, so the roots are not always. Changing. You, you you can um, you can graft over without disturbing the roots. But isn't that where the – I'm just trying to think of how does it keep producing? So they just graft a, a young young shoot onto old stock, onto old, yep. old roots. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. I don't hmm. – okay. I'll let that one go. I, I, I didn't know that that was a, a practice. I mean, I knew it was a practice if you wanted to change a vineyard that's planted to Cabernet to a vineyard to produce Chardonnay. You can just graft – uh, the the the, yep. the young chardonnay on top of the the roots, but I thought the roots would be the stuff that um, ages and gives up the ghost before the uh, top part. No, well, apparently not. Okay. The registry itself recorded 128 vines uh, in 18 countries. So yeah, it was interesting. It was interesting uh, when I heard this uh, on the radio. I did a bit of deep diving. I was like. This is, I mean, you and I are both history buffs. We love a bit of history. I um, I was very, very intrigued in that. Um, why, why did vineyards start there? Is that seemingly I must start there first? Or how did it survive for so long, 600 years? I suppose it's just people want yeah, to drink. Well, that, that's where they were. Well, <laughs> well, yeah, well, that's it. You know, like, like anything, you know, they might have planted something as a fruit source and they, you know, got into, you know, somehow the church got into it somewhere along the lines and, yeah. um, you know, and they started fermentation and, you know, I don't know, I don't know why nay in Germany, I don't know why, um, but the age I found interesting. Um, also, conversely, there was no New Zealand vines listed in the old vine registry, Um Nothing from New Zealand. Obviously, New Zealand's a fairly young um, producing region in the world of wines. Um, but, you know, we, we discussed earlier in the year on the podcast about Tamata having some of the oldest vines, you know, but they're 35 years plus, not nowhere near 600 as uh, previously discussed. All fun and games in the history of the world's oldest grape brines, all the same. Hey, 
Quick question. Do you know Kate Goodman, who was the winemaker of the year, Penley Estate? I know of no, Goodman because of Goodman yeah. Estate and uh, making wine at the Yarrow, in the Yarrow Valley, I think, previously. And then right. Is, that, to South is that is that the same? So she was in I the Yarrow so. Valley for a while. Is that the same Kate Goodman? Oh, I'd, I'd be shocked if there's more than one Kate I was, um, as a winemaker. Yeah. Yeah, no, you, yeah, true. Um, very, very true. Yep. You had me there. Um, you had me there. Kate Goodman, here she is. Yeah. So I, um, I didn't know. I certainly, I've tasted Penley Estate, the Kunawara. Uh, I've tasted some of the wines, but I was thrilled for her. Congratulations. I think that's awesome because, um, you know, she has made wines from Seppelts to Punt Road. She's been all over, actually, so um, including Spain and the US. But congratulations to Kate. I, I think that's a huge accolade for not only her, um, you know, her wine philosophy, but her winemaking style. And she's getting her hands dirty at Penley Estate in the Kunawara. We all love good Cabernet. Cabernet is finally back. Good. <laughs> Fantastic. Yep. Yep. Fantastic. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, Kate Goodman, congratulations to Kate, winemaker of the year. Uh, there's only ever been three women to win that prestigious Halliday Wine Companion Award of Winemaker of the Year, and Kate Goodman is one of them. Well done, Kate. Uh, we'll move on to Rod's question, listener question. I'm so sorry, Rod, I didn't know where Leon Gather was. Uh, I've since learnt Luke Morris has taught me more than one lesson today, and that is it. But do sommeliers, do sommeliers consider closures when selecting wines for their wine lists? What do you reckon, Luke Morris? Uh, I worked on a company in the UK and um, they went so far as to bottle. Um, they, 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 they selected, they didn't bottle it, they selected the wines uh, for the uh, restaurant they were selling to based on uh, a red capsule was for the Shiraz, a yellow capsule I think was <laughs> the Sauvignon Blanc and there was a green capsule no, the yellow might have been Cabernet, and the red cap and this and the yellow capsule was Sauvignon Blanc, so that their staff could easily identify from under the racks uh, an order from a customer for a glass of Shiraz. They could just see the red screw cap, pull it out, unscrew, tip in the glass, and away the customer goes. Next sale, please. So, yes, is the answer. Uh, I don't know if sommeliers, but I know that. Um, uh, retailers, no, 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 not so much retail, but business. Um, uh, definitely consider it because, yeah, I just, I just had a, a, a customer ask me for a uh, a fundraiser event, uh, to order some wine, but they didn't want anything under cork because it's too much of a hassle to get the cork out while you're just trying to focus on doing other things. So yeah, that definitely screw cap has heaps of benefits and one of them is uh, 
ease of staff in serving a customer. So yes, it does influence. The the low the low cost of inventory and the low cost of labour when dealing with wines uh, under Stelvin do have an impact on if sommeliers are choosing a wine under Stelvin closure. If I was writing a wine by the glass list these days or a program, a wine program for a new list, I would ensure that all of my wines by the glass are predominantly under Stelvin um, because they're high turnover and they need to be accessed quickly uh, and, and, you know, opened and provided for the customer. So, uh, but so yes, uh, as, as a sommelier, I would consider the closure for the wines by the glass. But there are five kind of things or five styles that should be represented on every small wine list. And whether that has an impact on the closure, like you definitely got to have a bubbly on it. You definitely got to have like a, a good all rounder or something, you know, a good all rounder, a Pinot Grigio or a, a Muscat or something with refreshing acidity, a relatively neutral is a good all rounder. You definitely need something for the wine geek, whether that's, you know, Grunewald Lina or Valpolicella, some, you know, wine, something that the winos can geek out on. You need your your big gun, like you mentioned Windery earlier there, Luke Morris, or you might want to have a classic Bordeaux or a flashy Californian. That's your yeah, big gun okay. there. You, you, you need that on your wine list. And then you also need, you know, Funky Town, not the not the 80s song, but, um, you know, you know something from Lebanon or something from the Jura or, you know, something kind of, you know, carbonically macerated from the Southern Rhone. Or you, you need something funky there to just, uh, you know, to bring it all together and something exotic is the word I'm looking for. And when you're thinking about those wines and those factors, you're not thinking about closure. But in, in part answer to Rod's question, when choosing wines for the extended wine list, no, not really, Rod. We don't consider a closure. But if we're choosing it just for our buy-the-glass options and our approachable pairing wines, then yes, I guess we would. I'm in agreement with Luke Morris. You would definitely would you, think about your closure. Would you? Would you have any? Uh, if you had to choose between two wines, for argument's sake, Ooh, if, if so, you had to choose, and you were like, "Oh, we've got this Windsor's under Screw Cap, or we've got this Hill of Grace that's under Cork," imagining that they're the same price and they're the same everything, and you know. No, ignoring every everything else, just two different wines, but they've got to fill the same gap on your list. And, and I an wasn't pour, and I wasn't pouring them. No, you won't. No, and you're not pouring them. So that in your in your framework of, uh, you you go the screw cap for the wines. You got a fast turnover. Do you have a preference for my my preference every day of the week for those wines that I'm not pouring. On a list in a restaurant is with cork. Ah, nerd, <laughs> loser. Get the get yourself a Dunson's hat, Campbell. Not necessarily because you want to see the wine in that kind of godlike condition that the winemaker has left it in. Oh, right, so you are talking about screw cap then. I'm not – so when you use the Stelvin closure or the screw cap moreover, 
The argument is that it's a never-fail solution. Well, it's not never-fail for one. And two, it stunts the growth of the wine. We, you and I, we've gone down this rabbit hole before. Yes. And I don't choose to go today. People can go back and listen uh, to our... Um, yeah, it's an enormously good rabbit hole. Go, George. It is. It is. Go down that rabbit hole and look <laughs> up some the Stelvin versus <laughs> the Stelvin versus Cork. Um, uh, topic. Badgers moved and, into some of those rabbit holes. <laughs> and please, pour yourself a good glass of uh, wine. In fact, no, pour yourself a good glass of whiskey because you'll need something strong uh, to listen to to listen to Luke Morris's gloomy argument about Stelvin again. Snorefest. Um, but <laughs> you might want to listen to something intelligent about me arguing for to do that. <laughs> but in the short, in the short term, this has been a very lively episode. Powerful comments there <laughs> of Luke's talk this wine. Is, this isn't reporting. This is opinion. Okay, <laughs> of Luke's talk wine, season four, episode seven. Always a pleasure uh, with you, Luke Morris. Thanks for being a part of it. Are you back? Uh, you back soon? Back, back, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, well, going away soon. Going to yeah. When are you going to Canberra? Canberra Ticket selling in Canberra. I've been told that four tickets have sold. It was last I heard. That was like a couple of weeks ago or whenever it was. Yeah. So yeah. Um. Uh, what's happening? Canberra, Sydney, Berlin, conquering the world. Look at that. One glass at a time. Well, he's been Luke Morris. I've been Luke Campbell. You can find me at Luke's underscore wine underscore services on Instagram. We are Luke's Talk Wine. And in the words of the now famous Tony Barber, keep smiling and bye for now. Would you like to be smarter and do good in the world? Luke Morris here. I sold out shows at the Melbourne International Comedy Festival with the Wine Science Show. And now that show is in book form. It's only $15 and 100% of profits go to charity. So donate and learn and laugh with the Wine Science Show book. Go to lukemorrisha.com.au or follow the link in the Luke's Talk Wine Instagram bio.